Good morning, everyone. Continuing the book of John today, chapter four. John chapter four. Stay. John chapter four. And I tell you, I have really been through it with John chapter four. You know, the Lord, I needed to preach through John chapter four. It has really spoken to me uh, in these last several weeks as I have been preparing these messages. I've never preached through John chapter four. You know, we've preached through the book of John. I've taught many Sunday school classes. Some, for some reason, somehow, I've never gone through John chapter four myself. <laughs> and oftentimes we do these rotations as, as preachers. And when times get busy, like, well, maybe it'll follow me that I'll do a, a passage that I've done before. So, uh, you know, a lot of the research is done. You know, there's not much, necessarily as much time digging in. But I've never preached John chapter four. So you got to do the work. <laughs> you got to put the time in. You got to really dig into it. And the Lord knew that I needed it. And as we get through this message more and more, you um, might see some tears flow from my eyes. So I'll just give you some uh, a preface on that. You might, you might not. But it's really spoken to me uh, quite heavily uh, in this last month. And I've been reminded over and over again of what the main purpose of this book is. And I want to continually bring that up. And hopefully by the time I'm done, you'll be rolling your eyes. Yeah, I know it's that we'll believe. <laughs> then I'll know I've said it enough. As parents, we have to do that sometimes. You know, let's keep saying it and say it. And when the kids start rolling their eyes at us, then we know, okay, we probably said it. Uh, we're saying it enough. <laughs> you get the eye roll. The <sighs> but the purpose of this book of John is that you would believe. And that by believing, you would have life in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ. That, that's what this is all about. And we've been seeing here, and, and all of this, John, you know, all of it fits together. It, it's really hard to preach these, these messages on just one passage, because you can zoom out on this and look at it from a macro lens perspective, and, and you're like, wow, this all fits together so beautifully, like a beautiful tapestry. And what we've seen, you know, just in the chapter before, John chapter 3, uh, was Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And I want to keep reminding us about that encounter because these, these different uh, encounters, they compare and contrast with each other. Uh, and we can see spiritual truths in those comparisons and those contrasts. We saw that Jesus had an encounter with Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel in Jerusalem. Not just a teacher. He was the teacher, the foremost teacher of Israel in Jerusalem. And we saw... That in that encounter, Nicodemus did not understand at that moment or receive the gospel message that Jesus had gone to proclaim to him. And so he leaves the encounter not understanding. And so Jesus, he's been preaching, he had been preaching to Israel and to the Jews. And, and even the foremost teacher you know, didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say. He didn't understand the gospel message. And so Jesus has now left them. And he's gone to proclaim the gospel message of salvation through faith and belief in himself to the Gentiles. It's almost as if he said, fine, you, you can't understand it. The, the gospel is to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. So he took it to the Jews first. Now he's going to the Gentiles because the Jews 
rejected his message. They didn't understand it. And he, he went to a particular place called Sychar. You can look in the maps on the back of your Bible. I always find that interesting. Those maps are cool. <coughs> Take a look at them. Where is this Sychar? And where was he going? And why did he go that way instead of this way? You know, it matters. Everything that Jesus did mattered. It was all intentional. It was all the will and plan of God. It wasn't just, well, hey, guys, let's go hang out over here for a while and see what happens. He had a mission to do. He he had intention. So he leaves Jerusalem. He goes through Samaria and stops in Sychar to talk to a particular person, a particularly immoral Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob. Jesus arrives at the well, and you can remember this. I'm going to kind of summarize what's been happening up to now, up to this point we are in in John chapter 4. He arrives at the well, and he's tired. He's weary from his journey. He's fully God. He's also fully man. He got tired, just like you and I get tired. He suffered pain and and hurt and, and sadness, just like you and I do. He was tempted in all things, just like you and I, yet without sin. So he arrives there. He's tired. He's weary from his journey. And he sits there waiting to talk with this woman. And he went to that well to talk to that woman. He didn't go to that well because he was thirsty. That's a very important point. He went to that well to talk to that woman at that time. That was his mission. He he didn't go there thinking, well, I'm thirsty. Here's a well. Stop here. Oh, and just so happens this woman shows up. No, that's not how it went down. He intended to be there at that moment in time and space. He went there to talk with her and give her the gift of God, salvation for her soul. Unlike Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, she is ready and eager to receive his indescribable gift. And we've seen that play out in their conversation. You remember the conversation starts with a simple request of Jesus. Give me a drink. She's confused because Jews, especially Jewish men, do not talk with Samaritans or ask them for anything, especially a woman. That was an understood cultural barrier. And so she's shocked that Jesus would speak to her or ask her for anything. But Jesus doesn't care about cultural barriers. He cares about our souls. So he shatters the cultural barriers. He talks to her, and he's there to give her the gift gift of God. And so he says to her these amazing words. And these words have just really stuck with me. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. That's chapter 4, verse 10. I just can't get past those words. I have been reading this over and over and over a hundred times. And those words just keep ringing in my heart. And I keep preaching them to myself. Ryan, if you knew the gift of God, that's salvation, life, joy, and peace. And who it is that's offering it to you. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You would have asked, you would have prayed, you would have cried out in your soul, and he would have given you living water for your soul that wells up to eternal life. It's just that simple. If you knew the gift of God and you asked, 
he would give that gift to you. So why do I so often fixate and focus and become discouraged by the problems I have in this world? And we do that. That's our nature. That's our tendency. The problem's right here in my face, and I, I just can't see around it. I can't see over it. I can't see under it. The problem's right there, and I fixate on it, and I focus on it. All the while, Jesus is saying, right, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's offering you that gift, you would just ask me, and I'd give it to you. Living water, peace, joy, love, it's all there for you with my spirit. Just ask. Instead, I'm not asking. I'm looking at all the problems right here in my face, and I just can't get, how do I, how do I fix this, Jesus? He's like, you don't fix it. I do. <laughs> I've got this. Are you going to trust me? And so in this story, we see through the conversation. Whoever drinks from the physical wells of this world will be thirsty again, again. And Jesus tells her that. Whoever drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give them, they will, they will never thirst again. They'll well up a, a spring of living water in their souls to eternal life. And so that's our temptation. Our temptation, brothers and sisters, is to drink from the physical wells of this world. And this narrative drives home the point that those wells are always going to leave us thirsty in our souls. But whoever continually drinks from the living water of Jesus will never be thirsty again. And so they have this exchange and the woman says, sir, give me this water. Now she's really interested. Sir, give me this water, she says. And then Jesus says, go, call your husband and come here. And then she says, I have no husband. And then Jesus calls out her sin and her immorality. She's had four husbands and is currently shacking up with her boyfriend. But he calls it out so gently. He's not hostile with her about that. He calls it out so gently. And in doing all of that, now she's, now she's starting to see the spiritual side of this conversation. She says to him, I perceive you are a prophet. The discussion, then there's a discussion about worship and ritual and religion and all these things and where it's, where it's appropriate to worship, whether in Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. And Jesus cuts right through that. He's like, look, the location of worship doesn't matter. What matters is that God the Father seeks those, get that word seeks, God is active, he is working, he is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what matters when it comes to worship. The Father seeks out and saves those who will worship him properly in spirit and in truth. And the woman says to Jesus, verse 25, we're in chapter 4, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. Your translations probably say, I who speak to you am he. In the Greek, that, that he is not there. He says, I who speak to you am. I am. And in those words, you know, anyone that knew anything about, 
about the, the Torah, the Pentateuch, which this woman did. She knew the proper place and all these things about ritual. She heard him say, I am. That's, that's the, the, the name of God. He is claiming himself to be God. I am. I am that Messiah. And she gets it. She, she's, she really understands it. And that's where we pick up here in John chapter 4, starting at verse 27. So I'm going to read 27 through 42, and then we're, we're going to work through it together. So Jesus has told her, I who speak to you am. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, saying, he told me every, all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word, and they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amazing. Now, in these paragraphs, we see the faith of the Samaritans. It starts with the woman and then spreads to her town based on her testimony and sharing of the gospel message. We also see more of how we can experience and be satisfied by the living water and living bread of Jesus in our own souls. And I'm going to dig into those two topics. Back to verse 27, we see the disciples have come back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one really corrected him on that or called him out. Why do you, you know, what do you seek or why are you talking with, with her? The disciples are, are learning through this interaction that the saving grace of God is not limited to Israel. God's plan of salvation is for the world, Israel and the nations. And Jesus took them there also to see that and they marvel about this but they're restrained somehow from discussing it or calling it out and when jesus tells the woman i who speak to you am she leaves her water jar verse 28 and goes away into town and starts telling all the people come see a man who told me all that i ever did now what did jesus tell her he said go call your husband and come here he didn't tell her to go tell the whole town, but she couldn't help herself. I found the Messiah, the Christ. Come, see him. It could be him. 
And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She took action. She did just what Jesus told her to do. She had come to the well to draw water. She had a job to do. There's work involved in that. She brought her water jar to fill it with the water. But she left the jar. None of that mattered anymore. When you meet Jesus, you know, that earthly task really doesn't matter at that moment. It's like, what was I here to do? Get water. She didn't care about that. Like, I've met the Messiah. She's tasted the living water. He said, go, call your husband. Well, she'll go and bring everybody back, everyone who will listen. She can't restrain herself. That water jar didn't matter anymore. She had met the Savior, Christ the Lord. She has come face to face with the great I am. And she knows it. She found the well of living water. And she knows it. So that water jar isn't important anymore right now. She's seen the Savior and she can't wait to follow his command to go, call your husband, get as many people as you can, come here, come back to me. So she leaves the water jar and immediately begins to proclaim Jesus, not just to her boyfriend, but to the town, the whole town. And I thought this was really interesting because notice that she didn't need a course on right doctrine. I might step on my own toes here. She didn't need a course on right doctrine. She didn't need an evangelism training course. I'm not saying those things are bad, but she didn't need that. She didn't need a discipleship training program. She didn't need a seminary degree. No, she just needed to be faithful. Come and see the Messiah. He has the living water. Believe in him and be saved. It's a very simple gospel message. A lot of times we just tend to overcomplicate it. And we ought not to do that. Now, there is a place for right doctrine. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for understanding, you know, better, maybe the right approach to evangelism, these types of things. But you don't have to wait for all that. That's the point. And you believe, go tell someone. Tell them about the living water in Jesus, about salvation in him. This woman was saved. She's saved for all eternity, saved by grace through faith, apart from any works of her own. And now that she's saved, she can't wait to tell the world of the Savior she's found. You know, our, our hearts need to be like that, continually being like that, to not grow weary in well-doing, as the Bible teaches us. Brothers and sisters, I pray it's our great desire to invite lost sinners to come to Jesus. When was the last time you did that? Think about it. Sometimes we tend to put the gospel on the shelf. We need to put it right out there. Not in a brash way, not in an egotistical way or anything like that. But hey, you know, I, I love and serve and do the things I do because because I love Jesus. And I want you to know the great salvation and love that he's given me. Will you believe in him? Simple words like that. It's not complicated. So may we all be so charged and excited by the salvation of Christ in our lives that we eagerly share that great truth and good news with the world. Look at verse 31. 
Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him to eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And so here, it's an interesting uh, comparison contrast with, you know, the, the conversation with the woman started with the physical and then went to the spiritual realm. She was there for water. You know, give me a drink, physical water. Then it went to living water. Here he, he's talking with the disciples. And it's the same kind of conversation. Did somebody give him something to eat? Oh, I didn't give him anything to eat. We just got back. Who gave him something to eat? They're thinking physical food which is, I guess, normal for them to think. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So this is a bit of a parenthesis here, telling us what happened or what transpired while Jesus was with his disciples at the well, and the woman went proclaiming her testimony of Christ to the town. Now, what's noteworthy here is Jesus's declaration concerning spiritual food. He talked about living water. Now he's talking about spiritual food. This whole passage from here in chapter four through chapter seven, we see repeated declarations concerning Jesus as the living water and Jesus as the living bread. The disciples knew Jesus is weary and he hasn't eaten. They know he must be hungry. They urge him to eat something of what they brought back from their journey. And Jesus just responds so simply, I have food to eat that you do not know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And so if you think about what just transpired there with the woman at the well, Jesus has been refreshed. He has eaten spiritual food. Because think about what happened. His food is to do the will of him who sent him and accomplish his work. What is that work? The work of Jesus is to seek and save that which was lost. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. He goes and seeks after his sheep. And he's just done that. He has shared the gift of God with the woman at the well, who has now taken that gift to the town. And they are believing. The sheep have heard his voice and they are coming. He has done the will and the work of his father. He has eaten spiritual food in his soul. He's been refreshed. He is accomplishing his work and the father's work. The disciples, they don't understand this. They're like, did anyone give him something to eat? They're all fixed on the the physical and focused on the physical. And he turns them to the spiritual and talks about this spiritual food. His heart has been fed. His spirit has been invigorated. And in giving salvation and giving the gift of God to the woman and to the town, he has also been blessed. And and that's also true in our lives, brothers and sisters. When we serve, when we love, when we give, we're blessed by that. You know, this is a time when a lot of people are sick. (laughs) There are a lot of sick people. There are a lot of opportunities to serve. And often, I was talking to Katie about this, you know, often when we're ill or we're not feeling good, you know, we we don't want to burden other people. We want to take care of ourselves. We don't. We know other people are busy. They have lives. And and so often, like, oh, well, I don't want to put them out. 
You know, I don't want to feel like a burden to anyone. We're fine. We're just fine. We'll, we'll take, we'll take care of ourselves. We're starting to feel a little better. I mean, we, we say these things because we don't want to inconvenience anyone. But the family of God isn't like that. You know, we are talking about this, like we want to help. We want to be a blessing because when we give, it's kind of like, you know, we get, we get the blessing in return. So Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And he's right. So if you're sick and you need something, let your brothers and sisters help. <laughs> Absolutely. We're sick. We need help. SOS. <laughs> Please help us. You're not a burden to your, your family, the church family. You know, we, we receive a blessing when we serve and give to you. Think about that. Um, we have a, a, a lot of culture here of like, not just in this church, but in our, our culture in general, self-sufficiency. You know, I got to take care of myself. I can do this with pride, you know. We, we, don't, we, we don't need to be like that. Um, your family is here to love and to serve and to help. And, and selfishly speaking, you know, I want that blessing. <laughs> Katie wants that blessing. You know, your, your family here wants the blessing. We're kind of greedy for that blessing. It's a weird way to think, isn't it? It is weird to the world, but it's the way the church operates. It's the heart that God has put into us. And so Jesus shares the gospel with the woman. He receives a spiritual blessing from that. Salvation has come. The obedient servant has food to eat that those not engaged in service know nothing about. If you read forward into John 6 and 7, the, that point is driven home even further. We're going to get into that in great detail in 6 and 7, but I want to kind of read ahead and give you some you know, foreshadowing of that. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's tying this together. He is the living water. He is the bread of life. And so just as his spiritual food is to do the will and work of the father, accomplish his work. We also, brothers and sisters, have spiritual food in Jesus Christ. He's the living water. He is the bread of life. He continues, John 6, 38. All that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that day. That is the will of God. Jesus is doing the will of God. He is eating spiritual food by doing that will of God. John 6, 51. I am the living bread. So he started by saying, I'm the bread of life. Now he's saying, I am the living bread. He's the living water. He is the living bread. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He, he's telling them he is going to die for them. He's going to sacrifice himself. He's giving his flesh. 
as the living bread. He is the living bread. And then John 7, 37, he stands up on the last day of the great feast in the synagogue. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. What a strange thing for him to say in the synagogue. <laughs> last day of the synagogue. Here's Jesus. Stay, he says this in the synagogue. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Amazing. Now, I love what's there in John 7, 39, because it helps us understand what does that really mean? How do we do that, Jesus? You know, you talk a lot, Jesus, about you're the living water and drink from that water. You'll never thirst again. And you're the living bread. And Whoever eats of that bread will never be hungry again. How do I do that, Jesus? What does that look like? How do I eat spiritual bread and drink spiritual water? How? What does that look like? Well, it says in verse 39, he said this about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. <clears throat> For as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so this is how it is that we drink of the living water and eat of this living bread in our hearts. It's through believing in Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We can't do that apart from the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That's how we partake of the living water and the living bread. When our hearts are focused on this world and the things of it, we are in the flesh. And we're trying to satisfy our souls with the water and bread of this world. And, and sad to say, you know, we spend a lot of time in the flesh. Chasing after the things of this world. Because the problems of this world, like I said earlier, they're right in front of our face. Better jobs, more money, better reputation, better health. Even the good gifts that God has given us, like our families and our relationships, we, we fixate on those things and we focus on those things so much. But success in all of these different areas, they may satisfy us for a short time, but every one of them will ultimately disappoint us. Every one of them. It's when we look to Jesus and we're filled with his spirit that we'll drink his living water and eat his living bread and be satisfied truly in the depths of our souls. And this is something we all struggle to do with the distractions and problems of our lives. Think about how much time we spend in, in reading our Bibles, in praying, in service to others, in love to others compared to the time we spend taking care of ourselves. Do a little inventory of it. You'd be probably pretty amazed. It's like, wow, 30 minutes of Bible reading, prayer, maybe, and all this other time in the day spent toward taking care of myself. And I'm preaching to myself 
So we wonder, why am I so discouraged? Why am I so downtrodden? Why do I feel like this? Well, I'm not in the spirit. I'm just not. Not in the spirit. I'm not walking in the spirit. I'm walking in the flesh. And it, it's hard to do. You know, we, we wrestle with this. We, we fight with this. There's a worldly tension that's right in front of us, fighting for our attention all, all day long throughout the day. If we spend as much time in God's word and prayer and service to others as we, as we did in Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or, you know, Snapbook and all these things, you know, we'd be pretty spiritual people walking in the spirit, most of us. I'm stepping on toes, I know. It, it seems to me that the persecuted church seems to feel and understand this the most richly. I read in the voice of the martyrs of how people lose their husbands, lose their children, lose their homes, lose all of their earthly possessions. They're thrown into prison and kept in solitary confinement for what seemed to be endless days. And in those darkest hours, when all that this world has to offer has been literally stripped away, they feel the presence and joy and peace of Jesus. And they cry out to him in their suffering, and he gives them his living water and living bread for their souls that we are reading about today in John. I was reading through this issue of Voice in the Martyrs <clears throat> about the church in Ethiopia. This is Brother Nagasi. In the middle, he's in Ethiopia and he testified, speaking of his time in prison. He was interviewed by the Voice of the Martyrs. And he said in the interview, when he was uh, in prison, I knew the Holy Spirit was working in my heart. I became passionate about preaching the message of the gospel, even to the point where I forgot about my three years in prison. How do you forget about three years in prison? Go back in your photos, camera roll, and your you know, phone later this afternoon. Go back three years in that. A lot happens in three years. I think my boys have all tripled in size in three years. <laughs> like that was three years ago. Great googly moogly. A lot happens in three years. Nagasi, how do you forget about three years in prison? Because he's feasting on the living bread. He's feasting on the living water. Can't drink enough of it. Because why? There's nothing else to distract him. You know, and I read this more and more, too, in the scriptures. I, I was reminded of Matthew 7, where Jesus says, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Because everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, the door is open to you. 
Which one of you, when your child asks you for a loaf of bread, would give them a stone? And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Heavenly Father want to bless you? So when, when we cry out to Jesus and we ask, Jesus, I need the living water right now, please. Jesus, I need the living bread right now, please. He's going to give it. He's faithful. And, and those verbs in the Greek language, they, they tell us to keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It's not a one-time thing. In John chapter 7, 2, when he says, let him come to me, that's keep on coming. We've got to keep on coming. Keep on asking. Psalm 105 says, seek his face continually. I read that psalm almost every morning. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Seek his face continually. Let those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek his face continually. And so, brothers and sisters, that's how we partake of the living water and partake of the living bread. By walking in the spirit of God. We have got to, to learn to put aside these, these fleshly things, to kill the fleshly things in our life. Put those things aside and, and, and fixate our hearts on Jesus and keep a focus on him throughout the day, day by day, every day. Walk in his spirit. If we're walking in the, the spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Look at verse 35. Jesus says to the disciples, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This is a wake-up call to the disciples. It's a wake-up call. They and the Jews were not interested in the salvation of the Samaritans at all. There was just way too much work to do there. They're too far gone. There's no way they can be saved. They had clearly rejected God, and there was no hope for them. And Jesus says, wrong, <laughs> wrong, absolutely wrong. Look up, disciples. The harvest is ready. Get to work. It's right here. The people of the town were starting to come. And so he says, look up. The harvest is right here. It's a missionary lesson. No person or tribe or people group or nation is too far gone. So, brothers and sisters, we got to be careful not to judge by what we see on the surface or what we read in the news headlines. And so often we regard certain people as a lost cause or a hopeless cause. But we never know what seeds of truth have been sown in their hearts by the labors of other sowers. We never know what influences may be working. Oftentimes those who seem to be the most far gone when we put to the test are most ready to hear the voice of the good shepherd in their lives. We never know how many months there are till the harvest. So when you share the gospel with others, you don't know if you're a sower or a reaper or both. 
that really doesn't matter. What matters is that we are about the work of the Father. What matters is that we're faithfully and without shame sharing the gospel with others. Some may believe right away, and you're reaping the harvest, likely of what someone else has sown. Some may reject right away, and in that case, you have sown the seed of the gospel into their heart. Someone else will come along, and they reap that harvest. I'm reminded of the story of Philip in the book of Acts, chapter 8. God tells Philip to go to the desert on a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Philip obeys, and on that road, he encounters a man from Ethiopia, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. Some of you remember the story. The man had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was reading the book of Isaiah in his chariot. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, hey, go over to his, his chariot. Get in there and join him. So Philip ran to him and asked if he understood what he was reading. And the Ethiopian says, well, how can I understand it unless someone guides me? And he was reading this in Isaiah, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. That's what he was reading. And then the eunuch, the Ethiopian, says to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? And that's the open door for the gospel. <laughs> Amazing. And you're going to be in conversations like that with people. And they're going to open, an open door for the gospel is going to fly open. And in that moment, don't be ashamed. Walk through that door. Someone brings up spiritual things. We were talking, a kid in the neighborhood brought up something about well, you know, you, you should keep the Ten Commandments. That's an open door. Walk through that door. Engage in that conversation. Share the gospel. That's an open door. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the Ethiopian said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Just like the woman at the well. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. He didn't say, oh, you got to go through this class or that thing. or this." He didn't overcomplicate any of it. Here's a believer. Get wet. <laughs> when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Can you imagine the Ethiopian like, whoa, where'd he go? He's gone. He just disappeared. That's wild. <laughs> and the Ethiopian saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Philip was sent to reap that harvest. So if we're diligent in sowing seeds of the gospel of God, sooner or later, all faithful service is rewarded. You may not reap, but someone else will. And in the kingdom... We will rejoice one day with those who are both sowers and reapers. <clears throat> I was reminded of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so I want to close with the Samaritan's response, verse 39. 
Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. When the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. You see the contrast here between the Samaritans and the Jews of Jerusalem? It's a stark contrast. Jesus shared the gospel with the Jews. He even performed signs and wonders in their sight. They saw him. They saw his miracles. They heard his preaching. They didn't believe. They, even more, they wanted to kill him. These Samaritans believed in Jesus simply because of the testimony of the woman. And when they saw Jesus, look, he didn't do any miracles for them. They believed because they heard it with their ears. They heard the gospel and they believed. They heard for themselves. The word of God is enough. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is enough. We don't need to be miracle workers to see salvation in others. We need to be faithful in sharing. And when we do, his sheep will hear his voice and they will come. They will say, as the Samaritans did, he is indeed the savior of the world. Is he your savior today? Have you believed in Jesus? Are you trusting in him today? If you believe, but you feel spiritually dry, you're thirsty in your soul, you're hungry in your soul. Ask him and he will give you the gift of God, his living water. Ask him. He is the bread of life. He is the living bread and he will give it to you abundantly through his Holy Spirit in your life. Let's trust in him and believe in him today and enjoy the living water and the living bread that will truly satisfy our hungry and thirsty souls.